Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. We've been having a lot of conversations at Orange about what it looks like to lead humans. And we know that's not easy when it comes to kids, teenagers, volunteers, and parents. We'll be headed to 14 cities this fall where we'll be talking about that from a practical level. We hope to see you in a city near you. But we want to invite you into some behind-the-scenes conversations as we begin preparing for each and every town that we'll be headed to. So we've invited some of our favorite thinkers. Let's hop into the conversation. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. I'm Sojo. And as we are preparing for Orange Tour and already beginning to ask questions and process a lot of the questions that have been tossed at us, uh, I can't think of two better people, the president and the founder, to be talking about this topic right here. And that is why churches can't afford to ignore the tension all around us. And obviously, we can turn on the TV, sure, we can the radio and whatever it is, our serious XM. Uh, and we hear the, the tension in the theological tensions, the, the practical tensions, the cultural tensions all around us. But as churches are navigating that, I know, Kristen, you started in education, education major, theological major, worked as a teacher, uh, now helping us think through so much from phase as well as so much here at Orange, uh, Reggie, God, where do I even begin? 50 books, bestseller, author, uh, 50 founder books? here. 50, Over 50, 50 probably. I mean, I don't sure. even like at one, this point. Like, golly, that's it. I don't even know how no, to give no, you a I mean, I've written, I've written part of one, and the rest actually Christian wrote. Co-founding okay. pastor. I mean, I'm Let's saying, not forget about that chapter, and oh, there's so many yeah, wonderful yeah, things I could yeah, say. Sure. Um, yeah. But as, as we're dealing with this idea of churches navigating the tensions all around them, I'm going to toss that question out there and let you all just begin to tackle it. There you go. Tackle that. I mean, to be honest, I mean, Kristen represents the dichotomy sometimes that exists in churches between theology and child development. The mm-hmm. whole phase project, which came out of her brain, really has a lot to do with the fact that we want churches to actually understand they are leading humans yes. who need to be understood from the perspective of how they're growing Mm-hmm. And from the perspective of what they need spiritually, so it's mm-hmm. it's two things. So yeah, it's an when, and right. When we say leading humans in the tension, there are so many tensions that we manage as leaders. One of those is the tension between good theology and human development. Um, it's not just that we teach kids everything that's absolutely true, but we teach kids the truth that they need when they need it, when it's in a way that it can be received. Right when that's they're good. two, and when they're four, and when they're seven, and when they're twelve. So. You have to take theology and child development hand in hand and manage mm. the tension. But Joseph, you were Sojo, mm-hmm. Joseph, yep. Sojo. <laughs> I go back and forth. Yep. But you were talking about a lot of other tensions too, right? Yep. Just like you mentioned a lot of media. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of cultural tension yes. in our world today. I'm sure that you all are feeling that. We hear from church leaders every day who are trying to figure out how do I lead a congregation? How do I lead families? How do I lead kids or teenagers in the middle of so much polarization. And I don't want to get canceled, is what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong group. Well, I mean, we're great at either or. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're honest. It's yeah. like either mercy or justice. It's either Democrat or Republican. It's mm-hmm. either love or truth. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. love to either or it mm-hmm. when yep. there's really an and that creates a much more reasonable conversation. Mm-hmm. It creates a better team dynamic. Because and forces us to lean into each other and to actually listen and understand something and to hold multiple things at the same time. So I think as we wrestle with this culturally and theologically and in our churches, we have to have an and mindset. No, I love what you just said, Reggie, because we already were talking about practical tension and what you just said 
deals exactly with that. And sometimes what feels practical doesn't feel as practical anymore when we're mm-hmm. looking around us. It feels like that's what we're fighting the most for. But as you said, mm-hmm. it's getting away from the either or and beginning to embrace the and, which is just one step that we all could do in reminding people there is an and. Mm-hmm. That's a great practical tension to live in. There is an and. What would that look like in a conversation? But I'll let you take it. An and approach is so much harder. But I think it, if we're honest, it's really what we live with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when mm-hmm. I've been leading groups, I struggle with the tension between the ideal and the real, mm. right? The ideal is I signed up to lead this small group because I really want to have purpose and I'm going to help all these teenagers understand how to find a faith that really grounds them. And they're just going to make incredible decisions. Mm-hmm. They're going to love coming to church every week. I mean, I could just paint the picture of the ideal situation that I think I sign up for. Yep. And then there's the real, right? And <laughs> and we're oftentimes trying to navigate ideal yep. and real. And when you say an and mindset, it, it brings to my mind just that practicality of sometimes I could live in my own head and mm-hmm. paint a picture of a world that we don't live in. But and is acknowledging the reality that we have to kind of lean into as leaders. Mm-hmm. Which requires us to learn. It requires us to exercise empathy and learn how to develop empathy. It requires, it's actually harder like you said, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. so much easier to be either or and to push ourselves into our corners and our echo chambers, which means we will never really learn and understand each other's story. But the existence of and is still there. It doesn't really remove the tension. Ignoring the tension doesn't make the tension go away. It just actually makes people feel like they're not seen. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in this story of theology and culture and church and what's happening around us coming out of a pandemic, I think we're required more than ever before to actually be intentional about putting and into the mix. Mm. Without the tension, I mean, think about it for a second. Without the tension, you wouldn't have art because art is built around contrast and colors and all the, the mosaics of what needs to take place. We wouldn't have dance. Dance is simply balancing in the middle of a gravitational pull. You wouldn't have athletes who kind of grow and use the resistance to build their muscles. I mean, tension is important. Yeah. Yeah. You you need to lean in and acknowledge the presence of the tension and also figure out how to manage. And I think you mentioned, Sojo, that part of the challenge that we're facing right now is we're afraid to speak in the tension because we'll get canceled. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that I feel sometimes is I really sometimes, this is maybe a confession, but Maybe I want to cancel other people. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I think yeah. I heard somewhere around me that now I don't have to participate in life with people who don't agree with me. Oh, yeah. And that just feels a lot easier. So maybe easier. we could just move into a comfortable place, get rid of all the people who disagree with us, and forget about and. Let's move into you know a silo and just be like, surround yourself with the people who agree, yeah. who already think like you think. <laughs> And let's just go from there. Doesn't that sound easier? Yeah, so Kristen, Kristen how, how does that work in your parenting? How, how does it work living living with people who agree with you all the well, time I, in your not, parenting? Because I just this. want to go there for a second. Like, I, no, I, I'm, I mean, not a, I'm not a parent, Reggie, but I'll say this. I, I took some young guys out uh, to get ice cream, and they and they immediately got flavors that didn't make sense to me. Now I'm further along in life, so I know how to pair ice cream, right? And so one got blueberry and butterscotch, and I said, those two don't go together. They, they <laughs> what mixed do you do? Them, they mixed them. What do you do? They both hand you. Now I, wanted, right, I right. wanted to say, okay, you, you got this. It's all wrong. Yeah. He gets these two flavors. He loves this ice cream. And just like you said, it's art, right? It's his, yeah, it's his expression. Sure. It's his creativity. But here it was. It's it's a it's a generic version of what you just said. But it is the the idea of I think I know what he needs to eat. 
He's saying, I want mm. these two flavors. In my mind, they don't go together. But in his mind, it's an and that makes sense. And it's he, like somebody who wants Skittles with sour apple. Yeah, yeah, right? Yep. <laughs> well, Nobody wanted that. The truth of the matter is, if we agree about everything and only hang out with people who agree with us, we can never really demonstrate the love of Christ or unconditional love. Because mm. if you're loving people who agree with you about everything, there is no real demonstration of pushing through the things that you see differently and to understand and care. The, the, the very butterscotch and what was it again? Blueberry. Blueberry. <laughs> if you had actually tried if the I butterscotch tried, and blueberry, you're right. you would have said to him, you know, I not only believe that that's possible for you to enjoy that, but I think I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you didn't do that, did you, Jeff? I did actually do that. Oh, did you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> After a second, I thought, you know what, let me try some of that. Okay. And it did not taste as okay. bad as I thought but, it did. Exactly. But by trying it, yes. you demonstrated something. You're right. You're right. You're very, very true. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about some of the tensions in culture right now. A lot of people feel as if the church is disconnected. It does mm-hmm. not have a pulse on what's happening in the community around it. Can you all speak to that? Yeah, in our parent research that we conducted last year, we found that to be true. There were a lot of parents who were saying, hey, we're just not sure that the church understands our present reality. And I think it speaks to one of the things that Reggie was talking about at the beginning, our ability to combine theology with people's real life experience. Mm -hmm. And we need to work toward an integrated theology so that theology isn't just something we hear about, that we preach about, that maybe we come listen to on a Sunday morning But we've got to do the work of connecting what we believe to how we live every day. Mm. And that integration of what we believe and how we live is, I think, one of the most essential things that the church has to kind of wrestle with. Mm. I know that I'm wrestling with it. A lot of our leaders are wrestling with it. We're having conversations about it to go, what does it mean for us to really embrace taking our theology and integrating it with our lived experience? Which we see Jesus did so well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think as we're all reading and learning from his teaching, we're thinking he just so was, he was incredible at being able to say, here's what you all do every day, but let's make sure this- And it got him in trouble. It got him in trouble, that's true. I think there's something about that too, that Jesus was constantly in trouble with the Pharisees because when he took theology and, and put it into the everyday, it made them uncomfortable a little bit. Mm. You, can, you can say, depending on your theological perspective, you can say Paul and James, for example, you know, were looking at different sides of a coin. They were kind of both ending a little bit. And it seemed like James was trying to say, you know what, if your faith doesn't have works, then it's dead. Mm-hmm. And Paul was going, well, wait a second. Works is not the, the way that you actually earn favor with God, so you don't need works, you just need faith. And they were both really talking about different sides of a coin, and there's real tension in those two sides mm-hmm. of theology. But the truth is, there is a generation who's disillusioned with us because we have talked about faith, we have sta- stated our doctrinal preferences, we've actually tried to persuade them, persuade them to agree with us, while on the other hand, we're not treating people the way that we should in some cases. So mm-hmm. when those two things are disconnected, there's a reason why there's a culture going, I'm not sure I can trust the church. Well, you know what, there's something in that analogy too, because you're looking at you know, an argument that would go, is it this or is it that? Mm-hmm. Is it James or is it Paul? And I think for a lot of young people, and really even for ourselves, if we're honest, Sometimes we have to look in and go, maybe they're both right a little bit, and that's mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yep. And maybe it's not just two options. Maybe there are many perspectives as we're looking in to try to discover what's true about God. And it, it takes us having the courage to lean into maybe places where there is polarity to go, what are they right about? And what are they right about? And how do we look through 
two lenses at the same time. God gets bigger when that happens, not smaller. Mm. And I think for a lot of us, we have so narrowly defined who God is by our specific view of a lot of things. And I think there's a generation going, but what if, what if I need a God who can actually understand my emotional trauma? What, what if I need, you know, a, a scripture or a passage that unpacks for me, you know, how I actually see the person across the table from me and I celebrate their differences? How, how can I embrace a concept of theology that invites me into doing what Jesus did, back to what he mm-hmm. did when he stepped on this planet, so not that God could understand the creation that he had made, but so that the creation could actually understand that God understood. Mm-hmm. And when we don't understand each other, I think we're violating the very essence of what Jesus showed up on the planet to do mm-hmm. so that we could identify and so that we could know that we're known and know that we're seen and that Jesus kind of in this moment in time helped us remember who God was and kind of restarted culture and a religious system that was very, 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 I think, then broken. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So. To the kid who is trying to figure out what he or she believes mm-hmm. and saying, I, 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 I'm surrounded by ands mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I am knee deep in information and I'm just looking for what I should believe in, mm-hmm. uh, what I should even believe. What, mm-hmm. what, what would you say to those working at churches trying to help this next generation, understand what to believe? First, that it's challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have not met a leader yet that just goes, okay, this is the easy path. Here's exactly how this works. And then, you know, it just all maps out. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. this is a really challenging, uh, I think, season for all of us. There's information overload. Mm-hmm. Everybody's hearing information from many, many, many places. But a lot of the same things that have always been true are still true. Our posture matters, uh, leaning in with curiosity and acknowledging that this is going to be God's work in somebody's life, and we're alongside of them, but we're not the hero. Mm, we don't have to play the role of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to become God to this person that we're trying to, you know, disciple or bring in, you know, mm-hmm. into the faith. But we're a part in their journey to lean in and go, what is God doing in your life? And to nudge them along their own kind of discovery. Now, they come in with some crazy yeah, information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might point them to some different sources, ask some good questions. You know, why do you think that? Where did you hear that? What, you know, what are you thinking about it? Um, but really the questions we ask will matter so much more than the statements that we make. Mm-hmm. That's so mm-hmm. good. It's such a great question because it's a core principle of what we're really trying to, to help all of us understand and, and stay on track with. Because at the end of the day, if, if a kid or a teenager is talked into believing something, someone else can talk them out of that. If I convince you by my persuasion that you should believe something, someone else who might be a better communicator, more persuasive than me down the road can talk you out of what I talked you into. So true. But when you insert an and into theology and you make God bigger, you're actually handing a kid or a teenager the potential and the ability to critically think for themselves Mm -hmm. and to wrestle with it so that they own it. So by the end of you know, your ministry or when they walk away and go into what's next, the thing that they've wrestled with is so much bigger and and has that kind of potential. So I, I really believe that, you know, the and is is something that we should leverage as a tool to help kids own their own faith. Mm, mm. So when it comes to leaders in churches working with this next generation and becoming equipped and saying, 
tension's not going away. It's yeah. not. So we need to learn to leverage it. I love mm-hmm. what you keep yeah. saying. You're essentially saying it as a positive. Mm-hmm. Since you can't do away with this, so you might as well leverage it. What are some steps that you can do to begin to leverage the tension that we're living in already? Well, I think one is what Reggie just said, that when we leverage the tension, we make God bigger. Mm-hmm. And the tension will exist, is what we keep saying. We keep saying it's like, you aren't going to have everybody in your own household agree with you about everything. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have every kid in your small group agree with you about everything. Every parent of every child is not going to agree. There's going to be so much conflict um, because of just the world that we live in. We're going to have different perspectives on things. We're going to have different lived experiences on things. But when we come together and we can prioritize the things that Jesus prioritized together, that's how we leverage making God so much bigger. I think one of the ultimate things at stake here is trust. Mm-hmm. If we have a generation that we're trying to get to trust in Jesus, they're going to need to understand what trust feels like, what trust looks like. And that's on us to prove uh, that we can be trusted, that mm-hmm. the church is a safe place that can be trusted. And that means we're going to have to be radically different than culture in the sense that we are actually going to lean into the tension, mm-hmm. not cancel people who disagree with us, and figure out how to love and be with people, even when, you know, maybe there's things that we go, oh, I don't know, can we even sit at the same table? You mm-hmm. know, well, there's all those things that come mm-hmm. up and and it feels, I don't know, uncomfortable. Then we go, okay, this is where we lean in, leverage the tension, prove that God can be trusted by showing up. I love what one young man said. Uh, I remember talking to him. He said, this is the only place, he was talking about the church and small group. He said, this is the only place I go where an adult asks me what I think mm. versus telling me what to think. And I, and I thought, well, geez, I'm, look at us being able to le- leverage this tension of everywhere else they go, they're being barked at by their coaches, told mm-hmm. by, taught by their teachers. And then they walk into this space where suddenly we understand their world. We understand that everywhere else they go, they're being told. So we're going to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. We're going to say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. It's your faith. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your thoughts. And you, there's nothing you can say that can scare me. And mm-hmm. imagine the safety a student or kid feels when we begin talking to them like that in the world where they feel like they can't be safe anywhere else, right? That's great. I, I think that it's so important that we think this way. Helping a kid recognize the tension that exists between two different concepts, whether it's truth and love or mercy and forgiveness or, or, or mercy and justice or whatever you want to look at or pull out and put on the table, doesn't make truth less true. Mm-hmm. It actually makes it more real. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem is we've handed a generation concepts, doctrinal statements, things that we want to turn the volume up and have a code word that we, if we don't say it the right way, can't necessarily you know, be the truth. But somewhere in this, we've got to hand them a language that they can actually process and wrestle with. So is their understanding the vastness of God and actually what Jesus showed up on the planet to do, it changes the way they pursue a relationship. Because this really is about a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not about believing an idea it's about following someone. Mm-hmm. And, and so we can't become like the Pharisees where the actual idea became more important than the person. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um. Mm-hmm. To the churches, fighting to remain positive and not begin to adopt this um, scarcity mindset, looking at their numbers, mm-hmm. they aren't where they need to be. They're navigating the tension of saying, it's harder to maintain staff than ever. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get people to walk in our doors than ever. It's hard to hold on to volunteers than ever to the church leaders listening. What, what do you say to them? I would say 
that I'm going to jump to our Orange Conference 23 theme. Mm. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Because <laughs> the church isn't going away. Mm-hmm. The church will be here tomorrow. The fact that the church is here and what, what has happened to the, to the church through the centuries is proof that what Jesus prophesied and what Jesus said about the church was actually accurate. I mean, I think one of the greatest indicators that Jesus is who he said he was is when you look around at what he promised the church would be and that the gates of hell would never prevail against it and that the church would continue, to, if it was built on him, to be something that existed and actually impacted culture. So if you're listening to this and you're a part of a church, you're going you're gonna to be here as a part of the church. There may be local churches that come and go, mm-hmm. but the church is here. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has chosen for some unique reason to use humans that are imperfect mm-hmm. in the context of the church to demonstrate to a world that is human who he is. Mm-hmm. So I would just encourage them to, to just keep remembering that this isn't, you're not going away. What you're mm-hmm. doing still matters. Mm-hmm. It's still important, but if we're going to lead humans, we got to be human, and we got to understand the tensions that exist mm-hmm. in the human culture. Yeah, I love that because it isn't going away, and there is something powerful in remembering that you're not alone as a church leader. This is difficult work; it's difficult for everybody. But when you show up, you should know that you're not alone. There are others who are showing up who have the same values and the same mission and the same calling. And we're in this together to do something that none of us can do alone. And if your numbers aren't tracking and you're tempted to give up and walk away, now's just the time to remember there's something bigger going on than what any of us can see mm-hmm. in our own little you know, circles, in our own little pocket. And we can trust that and just keep showing up because the church needs you. Mm. I think it's each one of us showing up to do what each one of us can do that adds up to something maybe none of us could ever see. Mm. And so we have to stay in this. And um, yeah, I just, I wish every leader could feel that sense of, of meaning and purpose of going, hey, you are a part of something really huge. I also think it gives us an opportunity to rethink a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It gives us a chance to, to reimagine some things that might have become more tradition. And maybe there are things that we can change. I think we, we are looking at companies all around us going through, the, like you said, this isn't just exclusive to the church. <laughs> These are companies all around us having to think through the same things of we need to figure out how to do what we used to mm-hmm. do in the past so easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church, I believe, is facing the same thing. And this is, gives us a prime opportunity to maybe invite some people who haven't sat at our tables before, who might be out in our communities, who understand our neighbors a little bit from a different angle or perspective mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. not. Sometimes inviting a restaurant person in at mm-hmm. our table and say, what are you all doing mm-hmm. to engage? It's incredible the stories you hear when, you, when you're watching churches open their doors and say, maybe we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time yep. for us to invite in some other people, officers, whether it's people who are, who are doing it at the local theater or the sports. Like, what are they learning it all around us as we're all going through the exact same thing. And that is this this generation or this time has changed everyone. And we're all trying to catch up to how they've changed and how we can engage them the way that we used to. And I love the fact that you said the word reimagine. I love the fact that you talked about, and I want to pull out one little piece that you referred to and make it really bigger, that we're tempted to measure our success by numbers because that's kind of mm-hmm. the, the past. The interesting thing is the people around us in our communities aren't measuring our success by our numbers. <laughs> they're not. I mean, they're measuring by relationships, by are, are you resourcing and helping us win in our community? Do you understand my family and what's really going on? Mm-hmm. And what you pointed at 
for just a second is huge too, which is we need to not only learn from each other in the church space, but we need to learn from other human leaders that are doing amazing things because they're created in the image of God, and there is this amazing potential every human has. So why aren't we learning from each other in these spaces? We can learn from scientists and Mm -hmm. medicine and from psychologists and sociologists. And for anyone who makes those people the enemy, I want to remind you, God created them in his image as well. And sometimes, maybe by accident, they've tapped into the thing that God gave them to be able to learn and be smart and to lead us in some of these spaces. So why wouldn't we learn from them? Learning learning from each other is going to be a big part of the future, I think, if we're going to be successful at helping a generation see God in the way we treat each other Mm -hmm. and the way we learn from each other. So we're back to empathy. We're back to the ideas of what does it look like for us to live in the tension Mm -hmm. of all of those different kinds of voices so that we can do the job that God put us on this planet to do and be a part of the mission. Now, I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. an interesting tension. I'm going to say, Reggie, you're uh, one generation. Wait, 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 wait. What are we talking about? You're you, one generation. You are a part of a generation. We huh. are a different generation. <laughs> wait, wait. We, we, we so this are is, a different generation. Yeah, this is, let's just be them against let's me. Be so, this is them against me. With, so we're creating tension right here. There is one more elephant that's happening within the wall. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. wow. When it comes to leadership structure, mm. uh, there mm, is okay. a, a presiding mm. uh, leadership structure already in place. Older, further along. Older, There's further a along. younger Gosh, generation in the church that is not trying working. to say Go it's ahead. our turn for the baton. <laughs> yeah, okay. We want that baton. Yeah, okay, great. What do you say to the young person who's working at a church who's been serving maybe for a long time, but they're feeling like they still aren't being listened to? Or maybe, mm-hmm. you, I, don't, I won't say who you should talk to on this, but what do you say to the person who says, I feel like right now within the church walls, there's a natural tension happening between the different generations. And you're going to start with me I want to start with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I going to speak to the youth or the older person? I know that's why I didn't. I, didn't, I don't want to tell you which I one. Mean, I mean, I, I, I have to? kind of a message to both, Ooh. but I mean, I probably start with the older leader and go. You know, if you want to protect the future of the church and a legacy, you have to understand that the problems of tomorrow are going to be basically solved by the generation coming behind you. And you should listen and learn and understand, you know, what what is actually happening. I mean, it's it's cultural relevance. Somebody it's just, personal relevance. Someone just swerved in their car right now yelling. You know, I'm just, the, but I'm just going, I, they're loving what there, you're saying. There is a posture. Mm-hmm. I mean, any of us, regardless of our age, if if we stop learning from each other, or regardless of our race, regardless of our gender, if we stop learning from each other, then I think we lose the edge or the potential to have the kind of influence we need to have with each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I speak to the older leader first because I do think there's a construct of power right now that a traditional concept that actually is in the way of a generation trusting the church that we've got to look at hard and go, what does it look like to become more collaborative? What does it look like to actually trust each other? And because we've said this a lot of times, how can a generation trust us when we don't really trust each other. So mm. trust is huge trust is internally huge. Right. as well as externally. And then then I would say, you know, for me, being around younger leaders teaches me so much more than I would typically understand. 
And I think that, you know, let's see, what would I say to the younger leaders? Give them the growth, give them some growth areas too. I mean, they're, they're not perfect. We're not perfect. Young, so young what leaders? would you say to us? What would you say we to count us? We as young leaders. We count as young, we'll say, we'll, we'll I'll take okay. it. And to, and to the middle-aged leaders, <laughs> the I would say, <laughs> what I would say is, um, you know, I, I think understanding and respecting the past mm-hmm. is important, but I also would give middle-aged leaders and young leaders so much permission to challenge the process. Because I, if you don't challenge the process, what's at stake? How? How do you challenge the process? So the person process? right now would so say, okay, I'm going to walk in there and challenge my bosses right now. You'd say, no, well, before you go charged up, how would you do that well? Well, I think we've always said, you know, private influence is directly related to public loyalty. That's good. So if, if you are in a relationship with an older leader and you are not being respectful to them in other spaces, that's so good. you may not have the private influence that you need. But I also feel like a lot of times it just involves inviting them into a conversation and that you are actually reading something or studying something or listening to a podcast like this together and going, what is it we can we can do and learn from each other? And I, I don't know. I just feel like giving young leaders permission within a framework is important. But Gosh, I mean, since you're a, younger leaders, challenge that's such, no, that's challenge, such a good challenge thought, process I, right you know, now. I, I, I love what you're saying. I mean, imagine a, a younger leader in a church inviting their senior leader into a, a small group conversation with this next generation. And so that the senior leader can truly get a chance to understand what they have to juggle. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it's true. The, the younger leader may feel misunderstood. They're like, they don't understand what I'm having to navigate out here in this jungle of the world that we call today. When the reality is the senior leader probably understands a lot more than they'd imagine, but mm-hmm. might just be disconnected on one or two points that might be able to be solved. I mean, you, you and I had this conversation a while ago. I think it's important for you to understand a little bit about Elvis. Yeah, right. And I, I want mean, you to learn more about Tupac. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> So, oh goodness! What are you thinking, Kristen? Navigate was, this. Bring well, this to I was a peaceful somewhere place. Else, but it just um, no. I think when you were you were speaking earlier, Reggie. I think you know if if loyalty is not a word that you really resonate yeah, with, is a bad word because it can it can be <laughs> it kind is. of uncomfortable, and that's okay. I think an, another way of saying what we've said for a long time is your most challenging conversations should probably be in person. That one on one moment should be the moment that you're going, okay, with a posture of humility, with a posture of curiosity, how do you go, okay, this is what I'm seeing, or this is what I'm hearing, or this is really honestly what what I feel like I'm holding right now, and put it on the table one-on-one. I think some of the most unhealthy approaches that maybe a younger leader can take in those opportunities is uh, the passive-aggressive approach, you know, mm-hmm. that tell everybody else on the staff or every mm-hmm. other leader to get them on your side before and go in. There's just a posture thing there that's so never going to work really well. So have your hardest conversations one-on-one directly. It's good. And then in those other moments, you know, that may not be the time to challenge. I, th- I think it's that's good. another way yeah, of yeah, saying yeah. I, the I, same I, thing. I take back the word loyalty because you're right. I've had that word misused in my life a lot of times. <laughs> it can be manipulated. Yeah, it can. Oh, by, by far. And But if you're loyal to a mission, not yeah. to an individual, that that's, that's mm. a different way to look at mm-hmm. it. I also feel like, and gosh, this is so important when I think about this, my only defense at getting old mm. is when I stop learning. Mm-hmm. 
And I know young leaders that are old Mm -hmm. because they've stopped learning. This is good. And I know old leaders that are young because they haven't stopped learning. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's so important that everything we're talking about in in context of leading intention is really based on a simple idea that none of us have the answer. Mm -hmm. I had a a leader, Chuck Swindoll, when I was in my 20s, said to me, don't forget, no one owns absolute rights to all the truth. Mm -hmm. And every cult begins when you take a truth and embrace it and begin to teach it in the absence of other truths. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking, because I, you know, I read the Bible and because I'm a Christian and because I follow Jesus, my translation of Scripture is inerrant. Mm -hmm. Instead of holding what we're looking at and learning from each other with open hands so that we're consistently leaning in understanding. But again, young people can be old, old people can be young, old people can be old, young people can be young. It's just all about learning. And and that that simple truth, I think, is what's impacting so many churches from, yes, we're reading statistics of exodus happening within a lot of employees in the church, but the churches that are getting it right are really truly locked into this. Say we're all in this together, we're all learning, no matter what stage of life. Why are people disconnecting? Why are they walking away? It's not because they're rejecting our truth. Mm-hmm. It's because they're rejecting our posture. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. Posture is everything. I, I agree. I mean, it's it's everything from how do you influence across generations? How do you influence people who disagree with you? Mm-hmm. It's curiosity. And it's that ability to acknowledge what are you afraid of mm. right now? You know, when when something feels like it's tense and there's this or that, or there's something that somebody believes it's uncomfortable, how do you acknowledge your own fear, be able to name that, own who you are and what you think, but still enter into the space with curiosity? Okay, so Kristen, take us into the world of parents, because mm-hmm. as we're all navigating <laughs> students to young, we're all dealing with parents. What would you say that tension? I think a lot of it is really what you just said, and that is, hey, we need to sit across and really be able to acknowledge and have mm-hmm. maybe those conversations that might even be challenging to the parents around us that, that are entrusting their children to us. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that we found, and we'll, we'll talk more about this a good bit, is that parents care a lot about what you're teaching their kids. Mm. That's not shocking information. Um, but in our research, there were quite a few parents who said, hey, I sometimes worry what the church is teaching my kid. Mm. And I think one of the main takeaways that we found from that and some of the follow-up questions that we did was it may not matter so much the what they're Mm. afraid of as Mm. it matters that they are. It matters that they are nervous or that they do care what you're saying. And so in a world where there is so much tension around us all the time, we have to maintain that level of curiosity and humility and understand that that people care a lot about what you're teaching their preschooler, their elementary schooler, their middle schooler, their high schooler, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of why we have to embrace attention and lean in. And the irony is, mm-hmm. in that specific statistic, that if you were to put the parents in a room that are worried about what the church is teaching their kids, they would all disagree mm-hmm. about what the church should teach their mm-hmm. kids. So we're back to the tensions (laughs) of these different polarized things to go somewhere in the context. We have to create a more civil, a more reasonable, a more kind conversation Mm -hmm. because if I'm a mom or a dad, I am raising kids who don't agree with me. Mm -hmm. Even when I think about my adult children, Mm -hmm. if I'm really honest, Mm -hmm. 
there's a tendency for me to translate disagreement into disrespect, but it's not. We're raising individuals Mm -hmm. who need to critically think. Mm -hmm. So it does matter what we teach, but how and the Mm -hmm. posture we teach is still more important. This is what I love about Orange Tour because you're really having people walking in city to city, all these different stories, and we're learning just as much as Mm -hmm. we're trying our best to share what we've learned uh, over the years as we've listened and studied But I think the beauty of being able to say, hey, there is room to listen to parents and there is room to really challenge the ways uh, that that maybe they might conceive or perceive the church to be in its role. What would you say to the leaders who are who are navigating that day in and day out within their communities coming now to Orange Tour, the opportunity they'll get to really learn about not just tensions happening at their church and in their families and communities, but what we could begin to do to leverage those tensions? Because I think that's what makes it special. They'll have a chance to learn how to leverage these things that are already here and say, if parents are already feeling this way, mm-hmm. we actually have thought through this. And we here are some ideas that you could possibly take back to your church to say, if you implement this, it could create some changes. Yeah, we're actually starting some focus groups right now to take what we learned in the research that we just conducted over the last couple of years into some practical experimentation so that we can uncover, you know, what might work or what are some things to try and and what are we discovering along the way. So we're going to be, you know, talking more about what we're finding in those settings. But one of my favorite things about Orange Tour is just being around leaders who do what you do. Right. There is no mm-hmm. other opportunity like it just to get in a room mm-hmm. and remember you're not alone. You're part of this thing that, you know, oftentimes we don't get an opportunity to see beyond our own day to day. But to just be in a, in a room and go, oh, you do what I do and you do what I do and you're facing some of the same challenges and how do you navigate this and what have you found is helpful, you know, when these kinds of things come up. And so just that opportunity to be with each other mm. is, the, I think, the very best part of Orange Tour. Mm. There are some really smart leaders who show up on tour. And some of them are Baptists, and some of them are Methodists, <laughs> and some of them are Episcopals, and some of them are Presbyterians, and some of them are Democrats, and some of them are Republicans. And so, I mean, when, when you start really thinking about the intelligence that, that could be in a simple city in that room and what they do on the front lines, we can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important that we lean into that, not away from that. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the leader who wants to bring their volunteers, immediate practical tension arises, and they say, what do I say to get my leaders to feel like this is even a priority to them? Uh, that I'd love for you all to come to Orange Tour so that you could get a chance to see why we do what we do and what we could maybe even do differently. What would you say that they could say to those that they have been entrusted to their leadership? It's magical. <laughs> when you're in the room <laughs> with hundreds of other people. hmm who care about the future and faith of a generation. And when you're in that space together, in the room where it happens, as it would say in Hamilton, mm-hmm. I, I, I see it all the time. I mean, I feel it. I, it's emotional. It, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you're, you're looking at people who are doing the hard work on the front lines. Some of them are educators who volunteered in their church. Mm-hmm. Some of them are CEOs. I mean, they're, they're people who, from every walk of life, but they care about the same thing mm-hmm. when it comes to the future and faith of kids and teenagers. And I, I think if for any other reason, the inspiration that comes from other people, human to human, in a space like this, is, is worth showing up. Mm-hmm. And I know that we really want each church to win. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we talk about a lot and have ever since the beginning of tour is 
We want to make sure that the entire day sets up each church to walk away with their volunteers more expi- more inspired than ever before, ready to give it another full year, more committed, you know, ready to kind of charge forward and <laughs> face the challenges. And so our goal getting in the room together is for you to walk out with volunteers who have more energy, more mm. inspiration. They are more ready to go forward into the work of the year ahead of them than ever before. And we're always so careful. I know we, we put a conversation like this on the table with tension. We're always so careful to know, okay, mm-hmm. you're the leader in the room. You're yep. going to decide what you want to say to your volunteers about all kinds of issues. And so we take that filter through every message to make sure we're not going to say anything in front of volunteers or in front of leaders that might put you in an awkward position because we genuinely want to make sure every church who participates can walk out of there and be ready to win in their community Mm. with the important work that they're doing. I love it. Kristen almost accidentally said volunteers who've expired. (laughs) And I just want to make a point of that, that that there are volunteers that are exhausted and tired, Mm. and they feel like they've expired. There's an Mm. expiration date. But we don't want there ever to be an expiration date. Mm -hmm on a volunteer or someone who cares about a kid or a teenager. Unless there's a volunteer you want to expire. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> and we, we could also... You're going to retire we could, them. We yeah, can talk right. them out of the year ahead if you really, you know... We could talk about yeah, it. Or we, could, or yeah. we, we could find them somewhere to fulfill their passion <laughs> that, you know, is, is safer. Yeah, yeah okay, right. Okay. So, yeah. So. We've given that. We've all given that. Space. Right, right. <laughs> I can imagine the conversations. I mean, these are the emails that we receive, the conversations on the ride home, the amount you learn about your leaders when they're leaving Orange Tour, how when they're charged up and they begin to share their thoughts on not just the church, but their students and their kids and their communities, the conversations that are sparked just from being together in that room, experiencing it not just with your program, but other programs at other churches all throughout your area uh, truly has a, a altering effect uh, in a positive way, I think, on allowing people to really understand this is what it's all about. And we're all in this thing together. Well, I was such a good example because I think in my own family, like with my own kids, if I'm always the one starting the conversation then eventually my kids are like, bah, mm-hmm. you know, we oh, know, yeah. you know, all right, you're done. And the same thing can be true in an organization or mm-hmm. in any group of people. If you feel like you've always got to start the conversation with your volunteers or put the topic on the table, we want to come into your community and your city and meet with volunteers and say some things that you've been trying to say mm-hmm. just from another voice and another perspective. So you can sit back, have the shared experience yeah. together, and then walk away and be like, I mean, what'd you think about that? Mm-hmm. That's what somebody else said. So I mean, what what Come do you, on. how'd you process it? Yeah. And it, it always kind of fuels a different kind of conversation. So true. And we love to tell leaders every time they show up in these spaces, if you are involved in influencing those who influence the faith or future of a generation, you're thinking orange. Because orange is simply a way to get the parent and the leader on the same page when it comes to the faith and future of a kid or student. We care if you use our curriculum resources, but that's not the issue. You're you're not thinking orange because you use our strategy or buy one of our books. You're thinking orange when you believe in the potential of the church and the family to get on the same page to impact and make greater impact in, in the life of a kid or a teenager. So we love for people to show up and be a part of this, whether whether they're, you know, a subscriber to whatever we do or not. Because we want to learn from everyone in the context of this space, and we want them to be involved 
with other people who are championing this issue of the next generation. You've given us a lot of great stuff to think about. Kristen Ivey, Reggie Joyner, thank you so much. And Joseph Sojourner. <laughs> why are you here again? Why don't you tell people why you're here for just a second? Who knows? Yeah, Who okay. knows? Well, just yeah, hanging well. out, right? Who knows? Yeah, okay. Free coffee. Anyway, we'll, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this week on Think Orange Podcast. We hope to continue this conversation on tour in a city near you. Head on over to orangetour.org, and we can't wait to see you soon. Thank you.